Welcome back to the One Truth Podcast. This is Aaron, and uh, today we're going to talk about a topic that may not seem real important, or maybe uh, you think you have the answer. Um, what is heaven, or um, what do we know about heaven, or the heavens that are mentioned in the Bible? <clears throat> and when I say that, I don't mean when you look up into the sky you know, you see what would be classified as the heavens, um, you know, being the the sky and the clouds, and then the stars would be yet another heaven, um, and then the dwelling place uh, of God would be considered uh, yet another heaven. So um, we do know that in the end, when Jesus comes back, taking um, flaming fire, um, taking vengeance with flaming fire on those who... Um, uh, knew God's word and were disobedient uh, and and did not follow. <clears throat> that um, the heavens and earth will will be burnt up and that they'll be made anew. Uh, so they'll there'll be a new heaven and earth. Um, so the heavens that they're talking about would be the atmosphere, the sky that we see, and and um, and the stars. Um, but what we're talking about though is the dwelling place of God. Um, as well as the place for spirits, for our spirit, our soul, you know, or the soul of those who had gone on before. Um, and the Bible talks a little bit about it. <clears throat> I, I want to be clear about one thing. Um, the place that we know we go to is clear. Um, we do know that there is a heaven that's been prepared for us. You know, we'll we'll talk about that in one of the verses that we have um, that Jesus mentions. Uh, so that's not in question at all. Um, and again, the the main reason that I want to bring this up is not um, that we have any doubts at all as to where we will go in the end. It's that there's um, there are some individuals that have questions as to um, where those individuals went who didn't have forgiveness of sin, um, because we know that the place we're going to is a place that uh, sin cannot enter into, um, and because of that, there's um, what I would say is a misleading um, reasoning that's brought up by some people. So, um, so again, it's important, but it's not important. Um, so we know that, um, the Bible talks about the heaven describes the streets of gold and, you know, place without suffering. Um, we know that that's the place that, that we're destined for, um, if we follow God's word and we're faithful to the end, right? Um, we know that there's a place that was referred to as paradise um, in the Bible. Uh, and the question would be, is that the same? Well, I would say not because uh, we know that uh, Jesus, well, let's go into the scripture. So um, we know that the place that's going to be prepared for us is a place um, in the future. Um, and it's a place where uh, sin cannot enter into. And we know that in the past, um, where God dwelt, that, you know, the devil was actually a, um, an angel at one time, and that a third of the angels uh, followed the devil, 
and that they were cast out of the heaven, at least at that time. So that being the case, that envy that that the, the devil had for God and wanting to be equal to God um, is sin, right? Um, and was cast out. You know, he's the father of lies. He's the father of sin, basically, the devil. Um, and the originator of the original sin for us in the Garden of Eden, you know, the he's the the serpent that um, that the Eve follows, right, or listens to. So, if we go into Revelations, we learn a little bit more about what happened with the devil and the third of the angels. So, uh, when we go to Revelations twelve, starting in verse seven, uh, we read here it says, "And there was a war in heaven." Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought with his angels, and prevailed not, neither was there a place found any more in heaven. So they, they were cast out of heaven, and it says the great dragon was cast out, and the old serpent called the devil Satan, which deceiveth the, the, the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So we know the devil... Um, you know, had a great fight with his angels uh, against uh, Michael and the rest of the angels. They were cast out of heaven to earth. Um, and we know that that's where the devil resided. Uh, but obviously the devil was able to pass back into heaven after he was cast out um, because he, you know, he came before God. Uh, when we read the story of Job, you know, that's that's part of the whole point of what happened with Job. That Job was, you know, obviously a man of great faith, um, that, that God recognized the amount of faith that Job had. Um, and that's when, you know, the, the devil, uh, the discussion started with uh, the devil and with God is in Job. So if we go to Job 1 in verse 7, it says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence, come, whence comest thou? Where, are you, where, you, where have you been? Uh, then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God, and eschew evil? Well, first of all, when we say perfect, perfect in as perfect a human can be. Um, knowing that we cannot be perfect, um, that we can strive for that perfection, but Jesus is the only one true perfect human being that's ever walked this earth. So I want to make sure that we all understand that. And usually that's not in dispute. Nobody questions that, that terminology that's there. Um, so we know that this, that Satan came before God into this heaven. So there's the heaven, the dwelling place that um, God is in. Uh, in the beginning of time, we know that um, uh, Christ is with him. He is the uh, co-creator of all things. You know, it says that in the beginning um, there was God and God, the word was with God, right? And uh, Jesus is the word. So we know that they were there. We know that the angels were in this, in this dwelling place, in this heaven. We know that Satan was there. Satan was cast out there. Um, we know that the place that we're destined to is a place where sin cannot enter into. But yet the devil was able to go back into this dwelling place to come before God. So the place that's spoken of in this time 
is not the place where we're destined to go to eventually, at least the heaven that's uh, discussed for us to go to, right? So hopefully I haven't lost you all. Hopefully you're still you're still following. So there's a place um, that's that's talked about in the Old Testament. It's talked about in Revelations where the devil lived, where God was. He was cast out of, and then he was able to come back before God. Okay. Um, we also know that there's a place where um, people who were, I guess, as faithful to God as you could be. Um, went to that was different from the place of torments that's destined for all those that are not faithful to God. And we know this because if we read in uh, Luke, uh, Jesus is telling the story, not the parable. You know, a parable is using some fictitious people or an incident to um, describe something to get a point across. Um, And when you read the Bible and you read stories that Jesus is speaking of, uh, Jesus will not use names of individuals, uh, and in that case, you know that he's speaking of a parable. Uh, but in this case, the story of rich man and Lazarus, Jesus is actually using names, obviously, uh, because Lazarus's name comes up in, in the story. So when we go to Luke 16, uh, in verse 19, it says, um, there was a certain rich man, which, and and I'll say that I would, I would, I would estimate that the reason why um, the rich man's name is not mentioned is because part of it is he's not relevant. And um, secondly, it would be that there's probably many rich men or individuals who would fall into this place. And it, it would be to give that person some sort of honor for their position to actually put a name to it. Um, and God doesn't want to honor that person with their name. So he doesn't mention their name, I'm thinking, because of this reason. So it says there's a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared, sumpt- and fared sumptuously every day. He ate really good food every day. Uh, and there was, certain, there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which laid at the gate full of sores. So he had some sort of physical ailment. And desired to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So this rich man's eating all this great food. Then you have this beggar who's not just a beggar, but also covered with sores. He has this bad ailment. And he's so hungry and downtrodden that he wouldn't care to just eat the crumbs that fall from the guy's table. Um, And the dogs recognize, uh, you know, the, 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 Lazarus's condition and and licks him and comforts him right even at least the dogs have some some uh, comfort right dogs man's best friend uh definitely Lazarus's best friend in this case uh in verse 22 it says and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by uh the beggar rich uh, Lazarus uh died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom and the rich man also died and was buried and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and setteth, uh, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water to cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, Remember that thou remember that thou in the lifetime receiveth 
thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that which which would pass from hence you cannot. So Abraham, so a rich man, he's in hell, um, and Lazarus is resting in Abraham's bosom. So I would say this. So first of all, it's Jesus is specifically um, talking about resting in Abraham's bosom. He didn't say, my father. When Jesus describes any place with his father, he puts him first and foremost because God is the Almighty. He's the He's the one who sent him. Um, he has all power. He is omnipotent. And of course, if this was a place where God resided, that Lazarus had entered, there's no way that Jesus would mention Abraham uh, having any authority in this place um, rather than God, right? So we know that this place, wherever it is, is a place where Abraham is overseeing um, and that there's a, a great, you know, there's a, I don't know, the Grand Canyon between heaven and hell in this, in this particular instance, or not necessarily heaven, but a place, right? And, you know, something to note, so Lazarus um, was obviously as faithful as he could, um, to God in his time. But we know that under the old law, there was no forgiveness of sin, that it was a rolling forward. Um, and I'll read that here in a few minutes. We'll go into another verse that talks about that, um, the, the wages or the pay payment for sin, because there was no perfect sacrifice until Jesus came was like paying the minimum credit card balance that you have. You're never going to pay your credit card off if you only pay the minimum balance, right? You're only paying the interest. And essentially, that's the way you could equate um, the sacrifice that was made under the old law is that it was the minimum credit card balance. And because it was always the minimum, it would never suffice to cover that debt. Now, Jesus comes along and Jesus pays off our credit cards, right? Our credit card of sin is paid off and um, it, it covered it all, right? So um, so Lazarus was, um, uh, to, to whatever degree he could be, faithful in the point that he didn't end up in hell. He ended up in this place um, where obviously he still has sin, um, but he is not in the position of the rich man. And uh, the rich man looks up, he's tormented, asks for um, Abraham to have Lazarus come and just dip his finger in some water and cool his tongue. Abraham says, hey, listen, you, you got your good stuff while you're on earth, um, you know, get it while you could. And then now you're suffering. Lazarus suffered while he was here on earth. And now he's in a place of rest. Right. Plus, I can't I, nobody can pass back and forth between these two places. And um, so then it says, then he said, he being uh, the rich man, I pray thee, therefore, father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren that he may testify to them, lest they also come into this place of torment. So now the rich man says, okay, I've come to terms with my position that I'm in this place, this hell. Um, but you know what? I got five brothers back home or five brethren. Um, why don't you send Lazarus to talk to them so that they don't end up in the same exact place I'm at? 
And Abraham says unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, not if one went of them from the dead, will um, they will repent. And he said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither would they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. So he says, you know, hey, send Lazarus to go talk to him. Abraham says, look, they had Moses and the prophets to tell them what they needed to do. And uh, the rich man says, no, nope. uh, if it's somebody that comes back from the dead, um, then they'll listen to them. And he says, listen, if they won't listen to Abraham or if they won't listen to Moses, they won't listen to prophets. It doesn't matter who it is that comes back from the dead. They're not going to listen. All right. Which is, which is exactly the case. You know, plenty of people saw the miracles that Jesus performed and, um, and they still wanted uh, uh, Barabbas, the murderer, instead of Jesus, knowing that Jesus was a good man. So by this story that we hear of the rich man and Lazarus, we know that there is a place or was a place where Abraham was appointed to some authority and that individuals who still had their sin, but they were faithful in in this way, ended up, and those who were not faithful ended up in a hell in this story. This not a parable, an actual story, right? So um, that being the case, that's the only instant that we read um, in the Bible about people going on um, before Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection, Except we can go a little further in in Luke. So let's go to Luke 23. I'll scroll here through uh, my digital Bible here I got. So Luke 23, and we're going to read about the crucifixion um, because there's a point here, and this is what I was talking about. A lot of uh, denominational churches will talk about this point. Um, and the point that they'll bring up about not needing baptism is the thief on the cross. So we know that Jesus is um, crucified, and when he's crucified, he's put between two um, two thieves, two criminals, right? And there's a little bit of an argument that goes on between the two criminals. Um, it says in verse 39, um, again in Luke 23, uh, verse 39, it says, And one of the malefactors, one of the, the, of the criminals, uh, which were hanged, uh, railed on him, saying, If thou be, if thou be Christ... Save thyself and us. But the other answered and rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God? Seeth that thou art in same in the same condemnation? <clears throat> and we uh, indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. So one criminal is like, hey, if you're really this Christ, why don't you just, you know, take care of yourself, you know, ask God to take care of this and take care of us. And the other one's like, listen, you have no idea. Don't you fear God for the way you're talking to this man? We're, we've, we're getting paid back what we should get paid back. We're not good people, so we're getting the punishment we deserve. But this guy right here, he's not done anything. Jesus hasn't done anything, and he's hanging here with us, right? And then it says, and he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And here's the verse in, in 43. And Jesus said unto him, verily, I say unto thee, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Okay, so Jesus refers to this place that he's going to be 
that same day as paradise. Okay. And I'm going to read a couple of scriptures that will explain that this paradise that he refers to is obviously not a place where God resides that he's going to. Okay. The reason I say that is when Jesus says this day, you'll be with me in paradise after he gives up the ghost, right? After he's on the cross, he dies and he gives up the ghost and he commits his spirit. His spirit does not go to the father. All right. We know that he doesn't go to the father because when he meets Mary Magdalene, um, because Mary's, of course, tore up about what happened and where she went to or where where Jesus is at. She she had the faith, but not really had the faith, just like all the other followers. They they you know they listened to Jesus and then once he actually died on the cross, they were like, well, you know, I, I kind of thought maybe he was the son of God, but maybe he's not really the son of God. Um so there was doubt in him, right? And and Mary of course is really upset So she goes to the tomb, and when we read here in John 20, uh, so we're going to go to John 20, and we're going to start in verse 17. Um, Actually, let's back up. So Mary is at the tomb, um, and uh, let's go back to, let's see in verse uh, 9. So we're in John 20, verse 9. For as yet they knew not uh, the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. So everybody left. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. So she's at Jesus' tomb upset because, you know, they had put the body into the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher, looked into the tomb, and seeth two angels in white sitting one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. So the body of Jesus is gone. And they say unto her, Woman, why thou weepest? She said unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she said the, said thus, she she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing knowing not that it was Jesus. And Jesus Jesus said unto her, Woman, why thou weepest? Whom seekest thou? She she supposing him to be the gardener. So she's at the tomb. The tomb is empty. There's two angels, one at the foot, one at the head of where Jesus' body was. She, they ask her, why are you upset? She says, you know, I'm looking for Jesus. I have no idea where he's at. I don't know where they took him. So then she turns around and the same thing said by this man. She doesn't recognize that this man is Jesus and she thinks it's just the gardener. Somebody that's, you know, a caretaker taking care of things and said unto him, she says unto him, sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him and I will take him away. So she's like, listen, if you've taken the body, just tell me where it's at and I'll go take care of it. And Jesus said unto her, Mary, she turned herself and said unto him, uh, Rabboni, um, I guess it's like rabbi kind of, um, which is to say master, so a rabbi. Jesus said unto her, touch me not, for I have not ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto, the, unto my father and your father and to my God and to your God. Okay, so... <clears throat> 
We know that uh, Jesus was crucified, he gave up the ghost, and on the third day he arose from the grave. Okay, And Jesus just now appeared at the empty tomb in front of, um, in front of Mary Magdalene, right? And this is on the third day, okay? And she specifically tells Jesus, don't touch me. I haven't ascended to my father yet. So apparently in those three days, he didn't go to his father, okay? He went somewhere else, but it wasn't to be with God, okay? Now, he's going to say this to her, and then he will ascend to the father because it says eight days later, as we read here in... um in John 20, in 26 and 27, so let's go a little bit further here. In 26, it says, and after eight days again, so this is eight days after um, he appeared before uh, Mary, it says eight days again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace be unto you. So now he appears in front of Thomas and everybody eight days later. And he says in verse 27, then saith he to Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hands and thrust into my side that, um, and be not faithless, but believing. Because remember, Thomas said, I'm not going to believe it's Jesus unless I can put my fingers in the holes, you know, where the nails were and my hand in his side where, you know, he was, he was thrust with the spear. So Jesus tells him, hey, don't doubt anymore. Have faith. Believe by going ahead and touching me. So earlier he had told um, Mary that she wasn't allowed to touch him because he hadn't um, ascended to his father. And now eight days later, he's telling them that they can touch him. So apparently in that time frame, he did finally ascend to God. So that was not the same day that he tells the thief on the cross, this day you'll be with me in paradise, right? So the question would be is, what is paradise? Well, um, we know that uh, there that when Jesus dies and his blood covers sin, he covers it once and for all, right? And we know that now under the new covenant that we are to be baptized, and in that baptism is where we meet the blood of Christ, um, and that takes away our sin. So let's go to um, 1 Peter, and we're going to read uh, something... There's a little bit of dispute. Some people uh, don't necessarily believe that this is what the scripture says, but I mean, I'm going to read it plain as day and you guys can determine for yourself what it says. But we're going to go to 1 Peter 3 um, and let's back up to go to, um, let's go up to 15. So 1 Peter 3, 15, it says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. So this is Peter talking to us as Christians. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always, always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that you have um, with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better if they will of God be so, that ye suffer for doing well than for evil. So it's good that you suffer for God and not for doing evil. In verse 18 it says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. 
by which also he went and preached unto spirits in prison. So it says that God, or that Christ, in verse 18, for Christ hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, so he was crucified, but quickened by the Spirit. He gave up the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a-preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. So they're making this connection in this, in this account. Uh, Peter is making this connection about the fact that Jesus suffered, um, he was just for the unjust, that when the, when the flesh was put to death, in the crucifixion, that his spirit left, and then that spirit also went and preached to the spirits which were in prison. Because Jesus or God is a righteous God. And it wouldn't be very righteous if God said, um, okay, uh, or, or think about this. Okay, God is the Almighty Father. And how would you think if your dad, let's say you've got a couple brothers and sisters, and your dad's getting ready to go somewhere and he's going to come back. And he doesn't tell you all how you're supposed to act. He doesn't say you need to do this, that, or the other. He doesn't really set any rules whatsoever. And when he comes back, say, in a couple of hours, he comes back and he notices that you've been up to all kinds of mischief and done a bunch of stuff that in your in in you know in your dad's mind are not good but he didn't tell you not to do stuff so he really didn't give you an outline of things that you should or shouldn't do so he's kind of like eh, i guess i'll kind of wink because the bible says he winked at one time at their at their sin at their um at what they had done and this was uh, before the days of Noah. They didn't have the law of Moses, right? So the people in that time didn't necessarily have the guidelines to follow in which to be loyal to God. So if he were to say, okay, you didn't do these things, but I'm go- even though I didn't tell you what to do, you're still in trouble. And, um, you know, think about your own dad saying, well, I didn't tell you you shouldn't do these things, but you should have figured it out on your own and then start spanking the kids, all right? That's not very just, okay? This, you know, it, it it just doesn't make sense. You know, you got to give in. We have to have guidelines. Somebody needs to tell us what to do and what not to do. So God, in the times of Noah, before that, didn't have an outline for what was right and what was wrong. Um, so those spirits, um, it says here in this verse. Um, Noah, they were saved, but all those spirits before weren't saved. Okay. They were disobedient. Um, but God was long suffering. Um, and the ark, there were eight souls that were saved through that water from the sin of all the others. And then in verse 21, it says the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us not the putting away of filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Jesus. So this scripture is talking about the spirits who were in um, prison at the time because they didn't have forgiveness of that sin. So they were in this prison. And when Jesus went and died for sin, his, uh, his blood was to cover sin for all time. 
And then his spirit went and preached to all those that didn't have a way for forgiveness of sin. Because, again, you also have to remember, you know, David is spoken of as being a man after God's own heart. Um, and David lived under the old law. So therefore, David had sin. There was no way for him to receive salvation at that time. So once he died, he didn't have a way to go on to the place that's going to be prepared for us, right? Because he didn't receive, he didn't forgive, have uh, forgiveness of sin. But because Jesus died for sin for all time, they still had to have a way in which they could come in contact with that, with that blood which forgave sin for all time. So those spirits who were in a holding place, and I think we can deduce that um, Abraham with uh, Lazarus resting in the bosom of Abraham, that there had to have been some dwelling place until Jesus went and spoke to them where everybody was like in being held. Right. In this case, it says that they were in a prison. Jesus refers to the place as being um, paradise. Um, there's a place in which, you know, obviously it wasn't suffering because it says that Abraham or um, Lazarus was resting in Abraham's bosom. So and it's different from the hell where the rich man was at. So <clears throat> I say all this to say that when Jesus died, he covered sin. But those who were as faithful as they could before there was forgiveness of sin was given some sort of opportunity at that time when Jesus went to preach to them. And it doesn't explain it. And the reason it doesn't explain it is because none of us who are reading this have to worry about that because none of us have lived in a time between Jesus's death, burial and resurrection or before there was forgiveness of sin. Instead, we live after the death, burial and resurrection and have an opportunity to have forgiveness of sin. And we know that the place that Jesus went to was to the father, because, again, it said, you know, don't touch me. I haven't ascended to the father. Then he um, comes before uh, his disciples uh, eight days later and he tells them that they can touch him. Um, and we know also that the place that he went after he ascends into heaven in Acts after um, on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes down. And if we read in, for, in um, Acts 1, um, the apostles are all together. His disciples are all together in the upper room and uh, he ascends to the father for the last time. And we know that he resides on the right hand of God because we can also read in Acts 7. So let's go to Acts 7. All right, bear with me for a minute here. I'm on my digital copy here to maneuver around a lot faster. So we go to Acts 7. So this is the account of Stephen, uh, who's the, the first Christian martyr. And Stephen, it's funny because Stephen preaches the same kind of sermon that Peter did on the day of, day of Pentecost. Because Peter was pretty harsh with them, telling them that they've, you know, they've killed uh, Jesus and they've done all these horrible things. And the outcome of that sermon was they were pricked in the heart. They were upset about what they had done and asked Peter, what do we need to do to be saved? And um, essentially, uh, Stephen gives the same type of speech, is harsh with them, tells them this, that and the other. You're stiff necked uncircumcised of your heart and ears, you know, you resist the Holy Ghost, you're, you're just like your daddy's, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty harsh, <laughs> pretty harsh sermon that he gives them. 
and they get really upset to the point that it says that they um, gnashed on them with their teeth, right? So if we read starting here in verse 55, it says, but he being, or I'm sorry, let me back up. It says, um, in verse 54, it says, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. And instead of being cut to the heart, like, oh, I'm so repentant, they were cut to the heart, like, I'm really mad now. And it says they gnashed gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, Stephen, being filled with the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven. So he looked up into the sky and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened up and the son of man standing on the right hand of God. And he cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran onto him with uh, with one accord. And they stoned him. Basically, they cast him out. They 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 killed him. Um, and we also know that when Stephen when Stephen is stoned here, uh, we know that Saul of Tarsus um, which is a young man at this time who later on uh, will become Paul, uh, is standing there and they put their coats at his feet. Um, and again, the Bible doesn't make mention of things um, just because. Like if you read a Stephen King novel or Lee Child or something like that, they'll be what I would kind of call filler Things just to kind of give color or describe things to get you in the mindset or the mood of what it is that the story is going on. But God doesn't do that. God is efficient with his writing and he puts things in there and he mentions people, places and names for a specific reason, whether it be for the account that he's giving or whether it be to tie other scripture together to talk about what was prophesied before or the future or whatever. And in this case, it's significant to show that Paul, or at this time, Saul of Tarsus, even at a young age, was a, a, a part of persecuting the church early on. Because later on, when Jesus appears before uh, Paul or si- Saul on the road to Damascus and blinds him, he tells him, why do you persecute me? And uh, because he's persecuting the church, because not only did he go asking for orders to be able to go, you know, snatch up Christians and have them thrown in prison and killed, but he had been a part of the first Christian being killed by them, which was Stephen, right? Um, So anyways, I, I, I kind of veered off there for a second. So we know that Jesus ascended into heaven to be on the right hand of God. And we know that in that case, that's a place where God is, where Jesus went to. Um, and I'm going to read one other scripture here and then I'll wrap things up. Um, because when we talk about, okay, so, uh, Stephen, uh, was stoned. He sees, uh, God, he sees Jesus on the right hand of God. Um, what does that mean for us? Uh, where does that put us? Uh, and we can look to the scripture. Let's go to, um, second Corinthians five. Um, and if we go to second Corinthians five here, you know, the scripture tells us to be absent from the body is to be in the presence of the Lord. And this is, um, directed towards Christians. So this isn't something to say anybody, um, when they're gone from the body. Um, but so if we go to second Corinthians, again, I always talk about who's the writer, who they're writing to. Um, so that we know the context and this is the church of Corinth and this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. So we know this is Christians that are being referred to. 
And it says in uh, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 8, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be in the presence of the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. So we know that when we're to be absent from the body, when we're when we die, we're to be in the presence of the Lord. Now, whether or not we go to a holding place um, after we leave this body and that holding place is a place in which Jesus and God are in and that the new heaven with the streets of gold will be will will come to fruition after Jesus comes back and um, destroys everything here and everything is made anew. Um, that's a, a little bit more, uh, there's a lot more studying to do, uh, to come to that conclusion. And, you know, I've said this to, um, my students in my class, um, and I'll say this to everybody else, uh, out there, you know, you know, personally, whether or not when you're reading your Bible, you understand it or you don't understand it. And the Bible talks about when we're young Christians that we're on the milk, you know, you think about a baby, a baby, you can't feed steak and potatoes and everything else, right? A baby has to start off with milk and then eventually their, you know, their teeth, they're able to, uh, to tear meat and things. Um, their digestive system is developed enough to where they can start to take on solid foods and actually get into stuff that's hardy for their growth, right? And us as Christians, we're the same way. When we're early on in our Christian walk, it's going to be harder for us to understand more complex things. But that's where we need to to learn more. We need to grow in knowledge and strength of the Bible. And the more we start to study things, the more we start to understand, then our knowledge is expanding enough of the Bible that not only do we understand, not for memorization, but now we can start going, you know, I remember that Paul had talked about this, which then Peter talked about this, and let's go see how they connect with each other to, to describe this. And that's where your Bible study truly helps to start to grow your knowledge to the point that you can make connections. Um, but I would say if that's not happening for you, one, are you putting in the time? You know, are you truly studying? Uh, and if you listen to the to the bonus tracks that I have, um, you can make time. It's it's completely possible to make time. Um, it's a matter of looking at the waste that's in your life and eliminating it. But let's say you're doing that and you're still not getting it. Well, we know that in baptism that we receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit is basically an interpreter. Um, that Holy Spirit allows us to start to understand more than just the basic things like the plan of salvation, right? And with that interpreter um, comes the ability to exercise and to grow that strength or make that voice of that interpreter louder so that we start to understand the Bible more. Um, and I would say if that's not there, you probably should question whether or not you really understood what you did when you were saved. Um, because we are saved by faith. Right. So our faith um, drives us to action, to obedience. Right. So because we have faith that Jesus Christ is the son of living God and because we know the state that we're in when we're first a sinner before we're saved, then that faith that we have a hope of salvation at the end will drive us to be obedient to God. 
not to do acts, but to be obedient to God when God says, when Jesus says, repent or you'll perish. And then that obedience also leads us to do what Jesus says, unless you confess me before man, I won't confess you before my father. Right. So he's saying that we need to make that confession of faith that Jesus Christ is a son living God. Right. And we know that that's an actual confession of faith because we can go to Acts, um, Acts 8. Um, when Philip is preaching to the Ethiopian eunuch and the eunuch says, what keeps me, look, there's some water, what keeps me from being baptized? And he says, well, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God, you may. And he says, um, and he says he does. And then they go down into the water, both of them. Right. And then so that again, through obedience, we've repented through obedience, we've confessed through obedience, we do exactly as Jesus said, which is in Mark sixteen sixteen, he who believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He who believeth shall who he who believeth not shall be damned. So that obedience drives us to the baptism. Um, and in First Peter three twenty one, I told you, you know, we read that it says that not the the putting off of the filth, um, but the um, the good conscience. Um, with God, and it's the um, remission of our sins, right? That baptism is where the sins are removed. We can read in Romans 6, um, 3 through 7, that um, when we're baptized, we go down into the water. Just as Christ was crucified, the old man of sin is crucified in that water, and we come up a new person to walk in newness of life. And then we know that we have to continue to be faithful. Paul continues to talk to the churches about being faithful, returning back to their first love so that they don't fall away. Um, because, yes, the Bible says that nothing can remove you from the grace of God. Nothing, but you can remove you from the grace of God, right, by living in sin. Okay, and that's one other point I want to make before I go here, and that's that language is important. So understanding um, the old law, the new law, understanding um, what falls under the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, understanding what um, guidelines we have as a Christian, understanding that unless you know an individual has been saved the way the Bible says, don't assign to someone else the title of Christian because you you don't get to do that. Uh, that is that is strictly by the guidelines of the Bible. So you can't call somebody a Christian brother unless you know that they've been saved the way the Bible says, because that's not a title for you to give out. It's like me. I was in the Marine Corps. I earned that title. And uh, it's not me to just go out there and start calling people Marines if they didn't go out there and earn that title. That's not my position to call them that. They have to go through that process. And then the Marine Corps gives them that title at the end of boot camp. Even us individually, while we were in boot camp, hadn't earned the title. We were recruits. We didn't get to call ourselves Marines because we weren't Marines yet, right? And Christian, uh, a more, way more important title than I had ever earned before, 
was not earned. It was given by grace from God. So it's not something that any of us can give out. Only God can give out. And he's outlined in his word what we have to do to attain that title. And it's not something that we can go out and do works. It's through our obedience that we're given that title, through the grace of God, through our faith, in that baptism, we're sealed with the blood of Christ. And this is all backed up by Scripture. None of this is my opinion. And if somebody tells you otherwise, somebody tells you to say a prayer, they're giving you their opinion. They're giving you the words of man and not of God. And as I've mentioned in my other episodes, if they deny any part of this book, then they're denying part of Christ. Therefore, they are antichrist. All right. So I hope this was helpful. Um, if it's if it's if there's some confusion, if there's any other questions you have, um, again, I'll bring up that you can through either the Spotify app or the Anchor app. You can bring up questions. Um, feel free to put them in there. More than likely, if you're finding this episode, you've probably found it because you know me through Facebook or through Instagram where I post my uh, link to my episodes all the time. And uh, I would love it. Send me a message if you have a problem or reply, you know, on the Facebook post in the comments or in the Instagram post in the comments. Um, and bring up questions. Uh, question me on this. I, I have no problem whatsoever um, talking to anybody about any part of what has been brought up here because I know that it's backed by the scripture um, and there is no arguing uh, God's word. So uh, thank you for your time. Uh, this was a really long episode, but um, it can be uh, a very complicated subject. So uh, again, thank you. You've been told what it needs, what you need to do to be saved. And I hope that if you're not saved, that you'll follow that, uh, word of God and become a Christian before it's too late. Uh, once again, thank you and God bless. Thank you.